Can I say won't give it up? Don't touch it. Don't touch it. This is very expensive equipment. Is it really? No. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Elliot Chartrand, also known as my father. The father of Brian. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this podcast, you asked me a couple minutes ago, what is this podcast about? Right. And it's really about just talking about uh, music and how music influenced you. I know that, that, that you, I remember a trumpet in the basement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did you actually play the trumpet? I did play the trumpet. And yes. in what capacity? Well, in the high school band, I was the first trumpet. No shit? Okay. Yeah. And then, By the way, yeah. I know this is important to you, but you can swear on this podcast. Oh, I don't, if I it, don't need to swear. If, <laughs> <laughs> Not at the moment. If, you're, <laughs> if you are so moved, uh-huh. you, can, you can unleash whatever, <laughs> whatever ver- verbal... Okay, anyway, yeah. explore the space. Yeah. So you, you picked it up. You picked up the trumpet... In high school or before that, in no, grade before school? Before that, before that. Because we had we had an opportunity to pick a musical instrument to play in the band. And my brother at the time, my older brother, played a steel guitar, a Hawaiian slide guitar. Really? Yeah. And he was he was pretty good at that. Actually. No kidding. Yeah. Which brother? Uh Elvin, the second oldest okay and he was he was very good at that so i was jealous that he could play an instrument and i couldn't how does he get his hands on that instrument in lunenburg massachusetts apparently there was a teacher in fitchburg who was looking for students and somehow um my brother went to one of the music concerts and heard the instrument played and decided that's what he wanted to do mm-hmm. so and you're in grade school yeah. and you think i this is something that i want to be a part of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so you picked up the trumpet right so well only because you either played uh drums the trumpet or perhaps a flute or some other wind instrument um because it's a band it was for the band like and a marching band concert marching band, band marching yeah, band marching band so it sounds like almost like a like a like a like a drum and bugle core it's not a it wasn't a i mean it didn't have other so it just had drums wind instruments yeah. and a and that's it and drums and wind wind instruments that's right it was a marching band yeah. so you had a tuba in there okay. or or something yeah. like that might be a french horn but probably a tuba and a trombone and, and this is the this is mid to early 1950s. Um, let's see. I graduated in 59, so it would have had to have been at least four or five years before this. So 54, 55. Yeah. yeah. And this, as I mentioned, this is in Lunenburg, Massachusetts, a very rural mm-hmm. suburb of Boston. Would well, you call I, it a suburb of Boston? Not really. There, there were people who would um, commute to Boston. And um, they would take the train from Lemonster to Boston, which probably would take an hour or two yeah. to get into the north wow. into North Station. Yeah. But for the most part, it was rural. It was farm country. Farm, yeah, farmland. Then. So you go through high school playing the trumpet, and did it go? Did it? Did you bring the trumpet to UVM University of Vermont? No, I I had gone from 
from uh, high school, um, and when I left the, actually I left the band and the chorus. Okay, so you were singing as well. Singing in the chorus, yeah, as, as well. You were a second tenor. You were a baritone. Baritone. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I left all of that and did a um, an additional year at Huntington Prep in Boston uh, in chemistry, math, etc. Because mm. I wanted to go into veterinarian medicine yeah. in, at the University of Vermont. So I took that extra year. And when, during that year, I totally discarded the yeah. musical effort. Yeah. I didn't I wasn't involved in the chorus or the band. Were either of your parents musical? My father was. My father was. He used to he used to do his own version of a lot of the old t- songs then. What, on guitar? <clears throat> no, no. He he didn't play an instrument. He would just sing. Just sing. Mm. Singing and whistling. Yeah. And so we uh, but uh, I don't know where that musical interest came from except maybe just thinking yeah gotta give it a go yeah do you remember do you have any early kind of musical memories were were, like what was your mother what kind of music did your mother listen to and what kind of music did your dad listen to well back then um it was in the late late 40s uh there used to be country and western shows that would circulate through new england really and there was a a venue down in Air Mass near Fort Devens where they used to have country western and I remember people like Minnie Pearl was there and um I don't know a lot of a lot of the singers at the time and well at the time so now we're talking late 40s late 40s now mm-hmm. so okay. just after World War II all the soldiers are coming home and they want to hear country western music well, that's what they heard there. I mean, really? I don't know. I don't remember jazz being like a, swing. It wasn't big band. It no, was. It no. wasn't kind of the crooner stuff. No, no. this it, is might be pre crooner. I'm not sure. Well, but they were jazz bands around then. But it seemed my folks were all interested in country western. Yeah, and those were the. That was. Uh, I think. I think the venue was called the B Bar B Ranch or something like this. Uh huh. And they used to have pretty good. Pretty good uh, musicians come through there. And you would go to these shows, or you just with remember? The folks. You, yeah, with your parents. With the parents. Would the whole family go? Was it yeah. a family thing? It was a family thing, and and we would sit on these plank seats. And, yeah. And the kids would run around and go crazy. Yeah. And we'd have a, an ice cream sandwich or something, <laughs> and it was just a good time for the family. <laughs> okay. So okay, so you do the year. You do a PG year after graduating high school in Lunenburg, you get accepted to UVM and you go mm-hmm. as a, as a freshman, a 19 year old freshman, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. And do you have any musical memories of that experience? I mean, was the music different that you were hearing experiencing in Burlington versus the, the country Western stuff that, that you're, that you had been a part of kind of in Lunenburg? I didn't, we had more, it was more folk, it was more like Peter Paul and Mary type of okay, thing. Okay, so now we're so now we're early over. '60s, right, right, and in the '60s you get Peter Paul and Mary, and you get the that uh, sure venue. Uh, uh, what were the other singers there? Um, Kingston Trio, Kingston Trio, yes, yeah, and um, Beach Boys. Okay, early Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. were you ever? 
I mean, do you have a memory of the Beatles? Did you see it? Did you watch it on Ed Sullivan? We watched it on Ed Sullivan. Yeah, we saw that. Yes. And you were, but at this point, you're in college, right? Right. And it's a big event. Right. So did you you go to a friend's house or how did you how did you experience that particular moment? It was what February 1963. Yeah, those those years those years we were in dorms, but we didn't do much in going outside of that. Yeah, I was a I was a, a, an associate member of one of the one of the fraternities. Right. So we had some social interaction there, but yeah. for the most part, it, we didn't participate much in the fraternity scene mm-hmm. we would go to the the events in town and i do recall that we had um peter paul and mary were there on more than one occasion really so yeah. they were on tour and they'd come to the campus they'd, yeah, and do a show yeah downtown yep. yeah yeah do you That's, remember any other concerts from that time like we're talking like also early bob dylan mm-hmm. like joan baez I think Bob Dylan came to town, but I don't remember going to his performances. Um, that they were they were sort of scattered. Okay. Did I mean you know my show live from Laurel Canyon, mm-hmm. and a big part of the inspiration for a lot of those singer songwriters in the mid to late sixties, seventies, is Bob Dylan mm-hmm. and the Beatles. Right, right, right. Did seeing the Beatles for the first time have an effect on you, kind of? Did it? Did you feel like it was a cultural event bigger than just a, a show from these British kids? Honestly, I I heard the music and the music was quite different and yeah. and inspiring. But it it always seemed to me like there was more um, cultural thing than the music. I that see. Brought it all together. I, I see. Think it was, maybe it was the excitement of having these young kids from an, from, from another country, from another country come yeah. in, and you know, all of a sudden they're. They're a big part of the television scene, and yeah. Ed Sullivan introduced them, and right. you know a lot of pictures splashed around. So it was more about the cultural aspect than than the music aspect at the outset. Do you think that you were a little bit too old, you know, like at that point as a college kid? Because I feel like their target demo was like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I think that's right. You know, so yeah. maybe you were just a little bit older, and still wanted that kind of folk thing mm-hmm. right because i know you're a big like john denver fan right mm-hmm. and that kind of classic that's a classic mix i would say of country and folk you know very melodic singer so i wonder if you were just a little bit too old at that point to to hear the musical value of the beatles and you kind of got you kind of it's i guess it's the same way that say i would look at up you know at a new pop star now i'd say well oh i my pop was better than their pop you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you were kind of like no 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 uh what was that band that you were just talking about mama's not the mama's and the papa's the um peter paul and peter paul mary. mary like that's my stuff mm-hmm. yeah well it was it was the beatles were more sophisticated mm-hmm. in their approach to things and the breadth and the background of their music was even toward classic side uh-huh. and and that at the time was interesting but i thought that was a fad and uh-huh. it would be here and gone no kidding but it didn't go away obviously <laughs> people embellished oh for on one it. oh for one on that. um okay so you graduate well first of all you meet mom in this in the in your college years yes 
Yeah. Mom was, uh, mom is uh, two years younger than you. So you were a junior, three. Yeah, she's she's two. Oh, because you because you did the dude you you did the PG year. Yeah. So you were a junior and she was a freshman. Freshman, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are there are some scandals around uh, how you met because as far as I understand it. You you and your roommate were on a double date with mm. her and her roommate, mm. and initially you guys weren't paired up. That's right. And at some point in the evening, no, I don't think that evening, but subsequent to that, subsequent to that, yeah. things changed. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You fall in love. You graduate uh, University of Vermont, mm. and you enlist mm. in the army to go to Vietnam. Not not to go to Vietnam, but I enlisted in the army. Oh, what? There because, was no Vietnam at that particular moment. No, at that time there was no Vietnam. There was there was great conversation about what was happening in the in Asia, ah. and of course, the domino theory that if if right uh, if the Vietnam or at the time French Indochina right if that falls to the communists, why well, obviously there's there's going to be then the domino effect and all of Asia will become communist. That was the big. That was the big fear yeah. that was instilled in everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you decided, and were they talking about, were they talking about, um, not conscription, were they talking about a draft? Draft. At yes, that point? Yes, yes. That if it does happen, we will, we there'll will create, draft. there'll be a draft. Yeah. And you decided, well, forget that. If I enlist, I don't, I won't be drafted and I have a shorter, is that what it was? No, it's not shorter, but at the time... <clears throat> The military was was putting together a, a program where they would take college graduates and they would put them through a, a, an accelerated like an officer officer, officer mm-hmm. candidate school, and so uh, I enlisted and we had in the army. If you enlist in the army, you have infantry, you have armor, you have artillery, so the three combat arms. Right. And so um, I thought, well, I don't want to be an infantryman because I'll be walking all, everywhere I go. <laughs> And I don't want to be in a tank because those guys get shot at and they can't get out. Right. So I'll be I'll be artillery. I'll just send the stuff over yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, just add a little bit of excitement uh, to the to the battle. Uh, so I joined so it, the artillery. So, so it wasn't a shorter stint if you enlisted. No. Okay. No, not at all. It because was still a three three year two year two year term two year contract. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went to basic training and then i went to advanced infantry training and then we went into ocs from there after having two levels of training on the military. ocs is officer the candidate school candidate school um i mean i'm sure your mind was in other places but do you remember is there a soundtrack to that experience i mean no. you were thrown in with a bunch of other kids from across the country mm-hmm. in basic and officer candidate school, I'm, I'm assuming, was is there is there a soundtrack in your mind about that? Not not really. We some of us got together and had a little choral group, no kidding, acapella group. And um, we do you had remember the, that? What was the name of it? Do you remember? Oh no, no, no it had, name. Had no, had no name. Yeah, it might have been it might have been uh, um, uh, seven six five. That's the year we graduated. Okay, uh, July of sixty five. Um, but. Uh, we just got together, and one of the guys was knowledgeable enough in conducting. He okay. he was the conductor, and yeah. And so, uh, you know, we got 
together and sang a little bit. Like 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 it oh, at, at events or just just for your own just for our own entertainment. Yeah. We didn't have any time for events. No, I can't imagine. I can't imagine we, you had much free time. We got up at 5 in the morning and we went to bed at 9 at night. And, yeah. And we were straight out all You were toast by the end of it. Yeah. Um what year did Okay, so at this point um you're in officer candidate school had the war started uh yes however it had just started Mm -hmm. and when we graduated in july of 65 we there were seven of us who out of a class of about 150 of us seven of us were assigned directly to units that were going to vietnam whoa like, and like front, like the first wave. The first wave, yes, yes, the first wave. And so I was one of the seven that went directly to Vietnam. Wow. And um, that was a good thing because um, I was in good physical shape. Yeah. Um, you know, I could I could run five miles with a pack on my back and oh. and still have some life left in me. Still have some so gas that, in the tank. That was good. Um, and I was fresh out of uh, my... Uh, classes, so I knew my my uh, my work. Yeah. Uh, as a as a as at that time, I became a forward observer. Mm. So I was a forward observer going into into combat. Wow. And that worked out okay, because I would either be on the ground with the unit with the company I was assigned to, or I would be in a, a light uh, light wing uh, light fi- uh, fixed wing aircraft. Or observation, or oh. I'd be in a helicopter, so I'd either be in it or above it. Wow! And um, so it worked out okay. Um, now you were over in Vietnam. I'm sure you kind of caught wind of some of the kind of anti-Vietnam protest mm-hmm. music that was happening. Mm-hmm. How did you respond to that? I I I felt totally detached from it. Mm. I, I didn't have any feelings. I didn't. I didn't have feelings for or against it. Yeah. Uh, I knew it was happening. Yeah. And yet, I thought, well, you know, honestly, that war was ill-conceived to begin with. Sure. And many of us who were there at the time felt that we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, Johnson and Nixon both uh, had made the decision that. We were to be committed to this conflict and support the the government of South Vietnam, and it was just uh, we we felt it was not the right place to be. So you, I mean, you basically felt the feelings that these that these young songwriters who were writing this protest music, you yeah. were feeling those same things. Yeah. And did it affect morale in any way? Like, did did it must have gotten over to Vietnam? I mean, you, you probably heard it in real time. Oh yeah, you know, we heard it. And did it affect like I, morale or? I I don't think so. I think that when you're in the military and you're you're um, you're given a mission, and you know that that's it's your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you can sing songs and you can march and you can protest. But when you have bullets flying at you, that's the last thing you think about. Right. You think about defending yourself yeah. and coming out alive. Surviving. Yeah. Right, right. So, no, I I, I don't think that it, it affected us until we got home. Right. Once we got home, then we began to think about all of the things that had gone on and why we were there and 
and who started this and right. why. Right. And when we began to look at all those issues, we began to think justifiably then we were in the wrong place at the wrong You got time. a little bit of perspective, I'm sure, when you came home and were a part of a culture that was kind of anti what you were just doing right. for your country. Except when I got home, uh, we went to, I met your mother and we were in, uh, we landed in, in uh, New Jersey and there were people who were out on the street demonstrating. Against the war. Against the war. Yeah. And I had just returned home. And yet I had people who said to me, thank you for your service, glad you're back type of thing. Yeah. And um, there didn't seem to be an animosity there. Oh, good. I mean, while they didn't recognize us, and frankly, I wasn't super proud of having been there either mm-hmm. for that point. So it was one of those things where he sort of say, well, you know, you have your thoughts on it. And I have my thoughts. I was there and, and I know more than you know. Right. However, you have a point of view that, yes, we're, we're, we'll see where that goes. I, I find it hard to believe that there was, <laughs> that there was, um, I mean, similar to say the last, you know, four years in, in our country in this day and age where such a divisive topic as war it's such a polarizing topic and yet you know you come back from one of the you know biggest wars of the last hundred years and um again such a divisive topic and yet you could still have a conversation about it and as you just said you have your opinion about it i have mine and but here we are and you kind of go about your work it's it's almost like it's less. It's like it was less divisive of a topic at that time, or was it because you came home kind of early enough in the process that I feel like you know, as the war dragged on, hmm. then it became that really polarizing thing. Yeah. Did you come home early enough where it was like, oh, you know, thank you for being on the on the front first wave, and you know, yeah, it didn't think, have that stigma maybe at that point. Well, that's exactly right. I think it was. Being through that um, through that time early enough that it hadn't really developed the momentum and the the vitriolic yeah. type of feeling that ultimately it became. So I think that it was advantageous to have come home when I did. Right, and then I could see both sides of that equation. Right, and then of course it, the war got the conflict got worse and more people died. Right, and when we were there, we had relatively few casualties. Uh-huh. But when I left, the casualties started to pick up wow. tremendously. Wow. Now, and then you came home, what year did you come home? 66. 66. Uh, and kind of reassimilated into normal American life, right? Mm-hmm. You, 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 you started a family. You had Chris. Chris was born in 66. Mm-hmm. And then that's my oldest brother. And then you kind of started a family. You did some work in Boston. Was that the first thing that you did? Boston, yes. Yeah. Worked in Boston. And then Jeff was born, and then you went out west. That's right. San Francisco Bay Area. Right, right. Ultimately came back to the East Coast. And that's where my story starts. Mm -hmm. Born in Newton. Newton. And then... You bought this house, but within a year of me being born, something around there. 
Uh, you were born in 76. 76? I was 76. 76. Jeff was 70. Jeff. He was he was 70. We bought this house in 77. Right. So you were your So my basically my entire existence is in in this house. In this area. Do you have any do you remember any memories of me playing music as a kid? Do you, like I'm curious what your remembrance of that experience was. I have very distinct memories, but I want to know what you remember. Well, I I remember that and maybe you do as well. I had a guitar in the closet that I used to pull out every now and then. Yeah. And we used to have um, people come by and yeah. and uh, our doctor John Egelhofer. Yeah. He came by. He played guitar and a and back he, in the yeah. really that yeah. you've known him for that long. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And uh, he played piano and very talented and also of course a physician. Um, so he came here on a couple of occasions and we had parties and they and had music in the house but the guitar had always been here and I don't know if you picked that up at that time but you were you were interested in the band right and became part of the drum line right at the band right uh, for at the high school so um, I guess I don't remember all of that, but I remember that Jeff sort of kicked off the music side yes. with his interest in the guitar and yeah. um, started to play music and and get into. Was it? I don't band. remember the guitar. Was it nylon string? Was it steel string? Um, it was at the outside. It was nylon. Uh huh. Yeah. And so <clears throat> that's where he first discovered the guitar. Then yes, it yes. was your guitar. Yes. And then he got his own guitar and started working with Phil DeFremery. That's right. I remember that. And and took some classical. Took some classical. And that's guitar. why he. That's. I wonder if the. Well, I do remember a nylon string guitar. I thought it was Jeff's, but maybe it was yours. Yeah. Well, the I had a, a Spanish box guitar. Okay. Acoustic. Yeah. And it was. I don't think I, we ever put steel strings on it because the guitar wasn't built for that. But built for that. Right. right? So, but the, he then picked up the guitar and yeah. started playing with it at a different level, obviously right. taking lessons and so on. Now, um, I do remember, I do know, I have, a, I have this pretty clear memory of being in the car with you and you would be singing Jim Croce whenever Jim Croce, Jim Croce, Croce came yes. on the radio. Oh, yes. It was Jim Croce or John Denver. That's right, yep. Um, what drew you to that music? It was probably my beginning back in the days when when the country western right. um, folks came to town and right. we would we were little kids listening to that music. Probably that had a had somewhat resonance with that. Yeah, well, I, and I was just having a conversation with my buddy Chad about Jim Croce, and he says he says, you know, Jim Jim Croce is country, and I said, well, I feel like Jim Croce is more. Uh, kind of blues singer songwriter mm. and maybe it's that combination of all those things that kind of spoke to you or, or spoke to generations of I mean yeah. he's Jim Croce still I mean for me for my money you know one of the great songwriters yeah. of that of that time I mean that tune operator still gets yeah. me yeah. I mean yeah. that that's a crusher yeah. you yeah. know simple but to the point and and there's no fat it's just yeah. very lean well written yeah Extremely well written. So, all right. So we're here. You have the guitar. I do remember. I do remember some of the, your zany parties uh, when I was a little kid growing up. Um, I don't remember the music, but obviously Jeff, my middle brother, played a big role. I'm sure, just like you and your brother. 
I saw Jeff playing guitar and, and thought, well, that's some, that looks cool. I want to do something like that. So I picked up the drums and took a little piano and would steal his guitar and learn tunes. But, um, yeah, I do, I do have some pretty specific memories around that time as, as... Well, then, of course, Jeff started getting his group together and playing in the basement. Right. And, and uh, people would show up, kids would show up from either his class or from around the neighborhood and really yeah so when he well he went to he was at Deerfield though so this was grade school that he would do this when he was in like yeah in middle school really so and he would play downstairs too oh yeah oh yeah that's what i i said that we needed a new roof after that because uh, with all that noise and vibration of the house, house was shaking well and i'm sure by the time i got down in, in there mm-hmm. and started rehearsing I thought the whole duct work was going to come off the, the <laughs> ceiling because we, I mean, this is now we're like full drum set, Marshall half stack for the guitar. I mean, and I remember we, we would have dinner up in the, in the kitchen and then, you know, the band would come down, we'd all file downstairs and you guys would still be at the table. And I'm thinking, I don't even know how they can have a conversation over all this. <laughs> and we're like a different floor, <laughs> different side of the house. Yeah, no, it was, uh, that's where he started as well. Yeah. And, and of course, the young girls would come in and listen and ooh and ah and I, you know, whatever. <laughs> it was a real scene. It was a nightclub scene in the basement. Do you remember, uh, uh, I think my first concert was with you and mom uh, and Jeff and his buddy were also there, but we went to see uh, James Taylor at the Springfield Civic Center. Oh, yes. And I got, and I want to say it's, it's um, mid '80s, maybe '86. Do you remember that show at all? I don't remember that, Noah. But I remember going out to Tanglewood. Yes, on a couple, on a couple occasions. occasions. Yep, yep. Yep. Tanglewood is really the place to see James. But I, I have a very distinct memory of you at the Springfield Civic Center. I was well in '86. I was ten years old. And, and a little embarrassed that I'm at a concert with my parents, specifically because we had these seats. There was the, the walkway. We were kind of the, the second level, and there was a walkway right in front of us. Uh-huh. And we had, like, the three seats right on the rail in front of the walkway with a great view of the stage. And there was this cute, I don't know, she was probably early 20s, cute girl dancing in the aisleway. <laughs> Right in front of you, blocking your view. Distraction, total distraction. Not for me, but for you. <laughs> and I remember. I don't remember the girl. You kept, you kept saying, "Down in front, <laughs> down in front," and she's literally three feet away from you. I'm thinking, "Oh God, this cute girl. My dad's yelling at her. She's just trying to have a good time. Can't we all just get along and enjoy?" <laughs> Enjoy this music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Guess not. <laughs> anyway. Well, I don't remember the girl. You don't. Well, she, I, I mean, barely remember. The I girl only girl. saw her from the from the back. I see. And that was enough to remember. But it was more the, it was more just the embarrassment of you yelling down in front to this very cute, the yeah, very cute woman trying to just enjoy James Taylor. Yeah. Anything you want to add? Anything you want to talk about? No, but I think that I think that you're time of practicing in the basement yeah. uh, following Jeff's example yeah um, probably 
leads to a lot of your appreciation for music because after listening to that, yeah, all music would be more appreciated. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> leave it with a little, a little dig. <laughs> yeah, it's still early too. We got time. <laughs> well, I appreciate you joining me. I, I, I enjoyed it. We never really talked about kind of your musical history and how it, how it affected you and. I find it fascinating. Oh, it's fun. No. Thanks for the thanks for the interview. <laughs> All right, we'll see in see in the kitchen. So the story goes is brought to you by the Engstrom team. That's Becky Carey and Kate. They're a mother-daughter real estate team with Coldwell Banker Realty. This housing market is crazy right now, and Becky, Kate, and Carey can really guide you. Being a buyer can be very competitive, and you'll want a team who's looking out for you. When selling, they will let you know what you should and shouldn't do to get the house ready to sell and get you the most bang for your buck. Find them online, engstromteam.com, E-N-G-S-T-R-O-M team.com, or call them, 480-250-1936. Your plan is dubious. You can see that you know me well. So, do you need a minute? Just, yeah. Do it right into the microphone. <laughs> I'm sitting here with my mother, uh, Corinne Chartrand. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Um, I know, I know you're a little bit nervous. Don't be nervous. We're just going to talk about music, uh, some of your early musical memories, music that, you know, Nan and Ringo were listening to, and the music that uh, some of the first uh, bands that you remember hearing, and and maybe um, I'm always interested how siblings affect the music that you're introduced to, and that's about it. So it's super loose, no hard questions here. All right, I'm on it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's start with let's start with do you have any early memories of music that was being played in your house like the records or or how were you you even consuming music at that time when you were growing up? In My earliest memories of music that became um very interesting and I wanted to hear them again and again mm. were the record albums my mother had of Broadway shows. Interesting. And I can recall songs from My Fair Lady, Kiss Me Kate, Camelot, a lot of early Broadway music that um was available because they were albums that were in the house. Mm -hmm. Did you, at that time, did you ever actually get to Broadway and see a show? Were you ever able to do that? I was given a opportunity when I graduated from high school to take my grandmother, the two of us, mm. to see Camelot on Broadway. Very cool. Very cool. So... But I had gone to Broadway 10 years before when I spent the weekend with a, 
a lady who is was a distant relative. Mm-hmm. I was allowed to go into New York and be with her, and she took me to Broadway. I must have been 10 or 11. Wow. And, all right, so, well, your mother, my grandmother, Nan, was a singer. She was. So she obviously was very interested in in that, and so it kind of makes sense. Did, did she do, well, she was a teacher, but did she ever not pursue music as a profession, but did she sing outside of the church, or was that mainly where she sang? Her choir experience was her opportunity to continue with singing. Yeah. Prior to, I don't know her history in college, mm-hmm. high school, mm-hmm. uh, growing up, as far as how she had that opportunity, but her mm. brother, her younger brother, had a radio show in Burlington, Vermont. Really? And sang professionally. This is Uncle Charlie. Yep. So yep. that was her younger brother. Her younger brother. And he was a professional singer, wasn't he? At that time, he had a, quite a following, and it just speaks to the fact that in that family, there were, were good voices. Mm-hmm. So he was up in Burlington. Your mother was in Connecticut? Well, they grew up in Burlington. My okay. grandfather relocated them there in the early 30s from Boston. Yeah. And he would have probably been born in 1920. Wow. So um, he was singing as a young man even prior to his voice change, he had been in choirs in Burlington. Yeah. So they capitalized on a pretty strong ability. Plus, he was a fabulous piano player. Really? I didn't know that. I mean, I knew he was a singer, but I didn't realize he was a piano player. So there's definitely music on on your side of the of the family. On my mom's side. On your mom's side. side. Yes. And Ringo, what did Ringo? Ringo, my grandfather, that was his nickname. Ringo. Did, was there any music on that side? Not that I'm aware of. Um, when I think of his parent that I knew and his siblings, not really. Yeah. I think he, um, I can't even point to a favorite. My, my mom, I can point to others. She loved mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she... Um, Always had an interest in music. So this, uh, your memory probably came online, what, early to mid-50s? Yeah. And yeah. then and then, so around yep. that time, late 50s, Frank was obviously very popular. One of the, most, probably the most popular kind of crooner of his day. Would you agree with that? Or, or well, at least for your mom. Yeah, I mean, it came out of the fact that she spent the war years like many young brides. She was married in 41, mm. um, waiting for soldiers to return. Mm-hmm. And a one specific soldier. One specific, her husband. <laughs> but especially the American music was easy to put your hands on. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it was so easy far away in some of the mm-hmm. exotic locations the soldiers were sent to. Probably harder to get a vinyl of Frank Sinatra. Yeah. In in, in, in India. In India. 
which is where Ringo was stationed. Right. So, okay, so your early memories of music is mainly from your mother and her love of Broadway musicals. You were able to go see it live, which probably would have been super cool. I mean, were you you were in Darien at that point? Yes. You basically grew up in Darien. Yes. So it was a relatively short train ride Yes. to Broadway. I mean, I would imagine as a 10-year-old or 11-year-old, uh, first time, first New York experience must have kind of blown your mind a little bit. It's interesting from my first opportunity to be, I don't know that I actually, that this lady was in the city, but hmm. she was close enough that it didn't take much to get to mm-hmm. Broadway or... From where she was living. Right. Yeah. The, my most vivid memory, I must have been 10, my most vis, vis, vivid memory of that weekend is seeing Barbara Cook on Broadway in a play called Good and Plenty. Huh. And yeah. that's all I really remember. I'm sure we went to the Empire State Building, right. might have gone to one of the museums, right. but that paled next to Broadway. Barbara Cook. And Barbara Cook, if you remember, showed up at Carnegie Hall. Carnegie was that, Hall. I, I was trying to put it together, but yeah, I do remember that Kelly brought out one of her mentors. Yes, I didn't realize that you. Wow, I didn't realize that. Wow, small world. Small world. <laughs> okay, so these are kind of the early developing years in in your kind of musical journey. Um, you graduate from high school and decide to go to UVM. Yes. And it's not long after that that you get connected with Dad. And one of the conversations um, I had with Dad, and I wanted you to chime in on your experience with this, but do you remember watching The Beatles on Ed Sullivan? Yes, we saw it together. Yeah. Because... My grandmother spent her winters in the in Burlington and their, her summers in South Hero. Uh-huh. So, so she had come into town, had rented an apartment. We were with them uh-huh. watching it. And the interesting thing is I graduated from high school in June of 1962 with a whole bunch of kids. Yeah. Uh, we had... For our high school graduation, the I don't even remember her name, but the singer who sang Mashed Potatoes. I don't know who that is. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. I, in fact, I'll have to look it up, but that was the person they hired because we had a couple of, of uh, now currently music execs who were in that class. Oh, no kidding. So we had this gal come and she was hot at the moment and she sang your graduation she sang at the party that was given to the seniors afterwards okay but um the reason i mentioned that is um when i watched the beatles at the ann sullivan show Mm -hmm. it scanned the audience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it passed very closely to a classmate. Oh, really? Who was in the audience. Wow. that That's a trip. Yeah. That is a trip. Um, do you remember 
do you remember connecting to that music that early Beatle that that first performance or was it and I and this is something that I spoke with dad about I thought maybe you guys were a little bit older than the demographic that they were trying to appeal to well that um although when you think of the groups of girls particularly that used to kind of go bananas listening to the Beatles. I guess it was the music didn't appeal to me as much as the Everly Brothers, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. Kingston Trio I loved. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Those would be Mm -hmm. two of the music genres that I can relate to at that age. In the college years? No, high school. High school even. Okay. Uh, You said 61 you graduated? Two. 62. Um, so the, the folk, quote unquote folk movement, you know, the, 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 the Bob Dylan is, is, I'm, I'm, I think he's starting out early sixties. I don't think he hit the fifties. Anyway, you're kind of in, in this, in this, um, part, uh, in this, in this, um, part of the evolution of American popular music that this, you know, the, the, some of the bands that bridged the gaps between generations, you know, like a lot of the early uh, folk um, and ultimately like the, the Laurel Canyon artists, the, the singer songwriters of the mid sixties um, kind of came out of that. Right. So the, the harmony, the vocal harmony, the instrumentation, that early folk acoustic guitars and, and three voices, very kind of clean and simple. Peter Paul and Mary. Peter Paul and Mary were certainly in at that time, and that was another favorite. That's probably more college years. Yeah. But the interesting thing—I don't know if you find this as interesting—but when I went to a Laurel Canyon rehearsal, the, one the time, live from Laurel Canyon rehearsal, right, 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 right. Where was that? That was many, many years ago. Many years ago, early in the development yeah. before. Um, it could have been even before the first performance, uh-huh. but I was in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I went along with you, sat on the sidelines, and I knew the music. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who sang it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know its title, but it was all familiar. Right. So my thinking after that was I was so amazed to have absorbed it, right. but not clearly defining it as belonging to anyone Mm -hmm. until I, our family heard John Denver, Mm -hmm. which isn't so far from other folk that I have always liked listening to. Yeah. Well, again, a lot Mm -hmm. of that music that you just described, you know, the mamas and the papas and the birds and Buffalo Springfield even kind of came out of, of that early 60s folk music, you know, and they were all doing the harmonies and storytelling and writing their own songs. But but all of the research points to the Beatles playing Ed Sullivan's show and these young singer-songwriters who had, they were folk artists. They saw this band with the, the haircuts and the electric instruments, electric guitars and electric bass, and... And they immediately kind of changed the trajectory of that music and went from being a folk artist. You know, David Crosby was a folk artist. Uh, Stephen Stills, uh, Neil Young, you know, 
and then seeing this, seeing the Beatles, it kind of changed everything. And they all went out and got electric guitars and started writing their own music and not, you know, playing the songs of the of the of maybe the generation before or even some of that folk music. Although, you know, a lot of these bands took tunes from Dylan and like amplified them and 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 you know the birds redid mr tambourine and that was their first huge hit so there's it's this interesting time i think in in american popular music where this this gap in between generations and and taking the cool bits from that you know older music and putting a new framework around it and presenting it in in maybe a more contemporary uh way you mentioned John Denver, and I know Dad is a big John Denver fan. So that was that was an artist that you kind of discovered together in college, or did you were you hip to him before that? We weren't, but before you even go there, um, one of the things that uh, early or that period of time interest in music, it was my siblings who pointed out. John, um, James Taylor. Oh, really? Jim Croce. And it's when they mentioned those artists that I looked at them a little differently. Okay. But up to then, it was just part of the background or wallpaper of all kinds of music styles happening. Well, this would be then like late 60s, 69, even 70, 71. Right. That very early James Taylor, Sweet Baby James and... And that's its own movement, you know, yeah. to, to go from this kind of folk rock thing of the mid and late 60s to the singer-songwriter thing, um, which in a way was, again, taking elements of folk and taking elements because now we're, you know, James Taylor still had a full band, but but using it in a way that supported this particular new style, the singer-songwriter style of music. So that's that's really... So they came up behind me. I right. was the oldest. You're the oldest of five. Mm-hmm. And so the youngers right. had interest in music and would say, have you heard this? Or, yeah. Or this is a new favorite of mine. And then that opened up a whole new window. Right. But John Denver hit the family, not just dad and my interests, but the family in that our your brother mm-hmm. started singing that um take me home country roads at four years old jeff yeah yeah and you know on a car trip uh we would hear it on the radio yeah and he would just he knew the words he just <laughs> belted it out and we kind of looked at him and thought what's this and we <laughs> Got to know a little bit more of that music and really liked the style. Did you did you ever have any desire? Did you take like piano lessons or anything? Or did you do any singing kind of in the early years? Wasn't successful. But you did attempt it. Yes, choirs at school. Yeah, I wasn't a great. I was. I didn't have a great ability to stay on tune. Okay. My younger sister was designated the musician 
musical person. She got the lessons. But Someone made a decision along the way that she was yeah. going to be the artist of the family. Correct. And let me guess, it was Ab. Right. Yeah, well. So she had lessons. Um, nobody else seemed to connect. I think maybe at Hannah was in choirs yeah. in high school. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Wipe that away. Dean. Yeah. Well, I was waiting for you to talk about Oh, Dean. my gosh. Yeah. My younger brother was uh, very successful in those years singing with a group. Yeah. Yeah. Did he do, like, what what style of music was he singing? A variety. Yeah. Like um, barbershop stuff or no, no, chorus stuff? No, no. Uh, uh, like choir? Current cover tunes oh he was in like a band he was like in a rock band or something yeah, yeah. I, I, it, they, they must have had musicians but I didn't uh oh I don't remember a lot of that but I know he had a very close friend the two of them were the singers the uh, Garfunkel yeah and, was it was his name Russ no his name is Raw, uh, R- Ross 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 yes. I remember that yeah like as a kid them singing it Nana Ringo's house. Mm-hmm. That was the same guy. Yeah. So many, you know, many years later, they were still making music together. They were. Yeah. And then Dean went on to uh, choirs in churches and um, many, I'm just thinking of the family events. Yeah. That we still call on him to yeah. sing. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, still to this day. He um, went to a junior college and was told to um, learn uh, to uh, do some things that he just couldn't seem to accomplish. So some techniques. Techniques. And um, I, I don't remember the details, but I remember he him saying that uh, I was told I should do this, but why? You know? Right, right. But yeah. And didn't he didn't he study performance at, at somewhere? Didn't he he did he he didn't I think he did a semester and a, could have been in Boston. Yeah. But he didn't uh have didn't stick. Uh, didn't stick with it. He needed or wanted some another kind of career and mm. picked up what his father did which was carpentry and mm-hmm. Um, general maintenance. Well, I can definitely relate to being told this is the correct technique. You need to do it like this and thinking, no, I don't. (laughs) I mean, for, for better or for worse. Um, and that was the case with piano and never so much singing, but I do remember thinking, well, I just want to play it the way I want to play it. And I want to play the tunes that I want to play. And, I think that's part of the reason why I went to guitar was that no one was telling me how to do it. And I don't even think anyone knew that I was doing it. You know, like I would take Jeff's guitar when he was at home and I would try to learn tunes like Dan Fogelberg and um, Loggins and Messina and, you know, Jim Croce and, and, and James Taylor and, and, and feeling like I could, I could do it my way and it felt right. You know, technically it's maybe incorrect or whatever, but it was mine. It was mine. And no one could 
take it away, you know. Whereas piano, I would go and see Mrs. Bondi, and 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 she had tell me, you know, you have to learn how to read, you have to play Bella Bartok, you have to, you know, do all these things. To, and I just didn't have the time for it or whatever. So I get that. I get that feeling of eh, maybe I don't need to know this particular technique to be a a singer or a guitar player or whatever. I was at. Uh, in Rochester School of Music. Eastman School of Music, yeah, in Rochester. With Jeff, who was applying. Okay. And the interviewer said to Jeff, do you read music? And Jeff said, no, I play by ear. And so all those years with Defremery, he never learned to read? Apparently not. Huh. And he might have um, covered it well because yeah. he had a very good ear. Right. And he um, went, spent a year after high school in Europe, mm -hmm. came back, started school, started the University of Massachusetts in the music program. And the first week he was assigned to a chamber group. Mm -hmm. And the conductor of the class mm -hmm. said, okay, everybody, top of the first page, right. let's start. And he had no idea what to do. Yeah. Wow. He couldn't, he had no yeah. idea. Yeah. So he survived that semester wow. and said, I need to go back. These were his words. I need to go back to kindergarten in learning to read music. Wow. So he went to a great teacher who was in the community college system, who... Oh, what was his name? Well, it was... I don't actually remember, but uh, Phil DeFremery was on staff, who had been his guitar teacher. Yeah. But his music teacher was another really great teacher who helped him to learn to read music, and he spent three semesters... And got into the jazz school at the University of Miami. Miami. Yeah. Still a great, as far as I know, still a great program. Yeah. You know? Yep. Do you uh, have any memories of m me being a musician? You really watched the stuff that Jeff did, yeah. your brother. Yeah. And you just worked at it, yeah. worked at it, and were very passionate as he was, and yeah. you probably observed it in his behavior. Right. But you um, had your own style, and you were quiet about it. You didn't have the classical guitar lessons that he did, which didn't last too long. Right. He asked the teacher if he if the teacher, the classical master level teacher would teach him um, Sweet Alabama. Oh, uh, uh, wait, Sweet Home Alabama? Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> and the teacher said to me, I knew we'd turned a corner <laughs> when he asked me that question. So that didn't last Right. Classical guitar didn't, right, didn't right. go much further. But anyway, um, you did it on your own, but you took piano farther than anyone. Yeah. And I, I always thought piano 
basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. going to be solid music basics. For sure. I, and I totally agree. And, and maybe looking back, if if I had applied myself a little bit more to to reading, you know, that is obviously a very handy skill to have. Mm-hmm. But I, and we were starting to get into some music, a Scott Joplin and, and some stuff that, that was a little bit closer to what I enjoyed listening to normally, but all the, all the classical stuff, I just, I didn't, I didn't understand it melodically. I just didn't, I didn't get it. It didn't speak to me because I was listening to pop music, mm-hmm. you know, um, no, I agree. It would it, it it's a great it was a great foundation and you know whatever to this day I can plunk out a little bit and and I've even have written in the last whatever 10 years a, a tune on piano. So it's not that that skill is completely gone. I just don't think that that approach with that instrument was the path for me. Right. You know. You loved acoustics. Yeah. I will never forget the seeing you on stage with your very good friend Jason who's my very good friend <laughs> fifth grade <laughs> in the band in middle school uh, oh why am I drawing a blank uh like the, my first band yeah no no not band music class middle school music class it, at Ethan. Ethan the drummer Yes, I will never forget you and Ethan sitting next to each other in fifth grade on the stage, sitting there waiting for the clapper part. Oh yes, of that that Christmas tune. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, oh golly, I uh, can I I, I got it. It's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> is, is that sleigh, sleigh bells? Bell, sleigh bells da, ring. Da, da, Are you da, listening? Da, da. Yeah. Waiting, and then he and I waiting. were just wait, waiting for that one note that we get to play. Bang! <laughs> High five. Yeah, yeah you you were absolutely so. That's funny. Much fun, <laughs> but that was you know playing with others. Yeah. Collectively, that experience. Uh, it was a very strong music program, middle school. Yeah. Yeah. So and high school. And then at Eagle Brook. Yeah, Eagle Brook was great took you to a different level yeah. um, because the classes were small right and they, well and the, and the and the first time I really started to sing in an organized environment right. uh Tina Lunt the yeah. the the vocal uh the, the the choir director and the the woman who directed the little barbershop uh quintet um you know that was the first time really singing in in an organized way and then I took all of that and I brought it to South Hadley High and Tom Boat who actually just retired yeah. um you know then you get into marching band and concert band and jazz band and then I started rock and roll bands with with Ethan and and so it's it definitely kicked off a a, a lifetime of of uh of rock uh, rock and roll a love of rock and roll and and acoustic guitar but it was the foundation I think the early exposure to acoustics, the growing exposure to band mm. and that responsibility, the music training of middle school, of, of eighth and ninth grade. Mm. I, I remember pretty exciting opening up uh, uh, a Shea Stadium uh, 
baseball game mm-hmm. with the uh, quartet. It yeah. was more than a quartet. It was eight. Two for each Right, two level. for each voice, yeah. For each voice. And you were the guy who yeah. cued them in and got them started. <laughs> and it was pretty exciting. Yeah. But though those opportunities gave you a lot of experience yeah. that you could take pieces of it and build yeah. your own. Yeah. Well, thanks for sitting down. See, that wasn't that stressful, was it? No. It wasn't. And I think you have a voice for podcasts. I'm just saying. You might want to... It's never too late. A little career change. <laughs> Podcasting with uh, with Corinne. Candy's podcast. Wow. Well, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. Well, I just as soon listen to your podcast and let you take over. Thank you. I will say, I think this is the first podcast where there is no swearing. It's incredible. Well, you don't have to swear to get your point across. Okay, thanks. Um, and thank you for uh, letting me and all of my bands over the years uh, practice in the basement. That was huge. Having a rehearsal space that we could just, you know, shed for two, three hours, you know, was very, was very helpful. Of course, we had to leave. Well, I was just going to say, it, it, I, I can't imagine trying to have dinner through that those experiences well there was an evening when we were trying to watch a movie and the guests upstairs were like rocked out of their skin but i you know whatever we managed to get through it well i i appreciate you thank you for uh supporting my musical career and and um uh through through good bands and bad and and uh um thanks for being on my podcast i'm I'm excited to share my my folks and in, in their musical journey with uh, with the 13 people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Brian. Okay, bye, mom. So story goes.